Yes, it's good to be with you all this morning. Good to see you all. We're working our way as a church through this book of Acts. Hopefully you've been blessed by that thus far. And if you wouldn't mind, maybe while I'm chatting for a moment, you could start turning to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be working through this section of Scripture. And a little kind of look behind the curtain, if you will, as a as a preacher, one of the things, uh, if you're an exegetical preacher, in other words, somebody that works through a, a book of the Bible, you just basically your first goal in looking at a text is you're trying to identify what is the, the big idea, what's the, what's the big thing that you want people to remember, the part that you want to have all the kind of subparts of the, of the text pointing to and reinforcing. And so you'll notice on a typical week, we often have like a big idea. You might remember two weeks ago, Josh was preaching and his uh, big idea was that the gospel is for everyone. Your eye has never fallen on somebody that the gospel isn't for. And really in the, the text, then pointing to all these different parts of the text that reinforce that big idea. Does that make sense? Last week, my big idea was talking about God's active involvement behind the scenes, working, coordinating experiences, coordinating encounters, all of that to point us to Jesus Christ and then ultimately to grow us in Christ after we've embraced him. And so we talked about that this last week. Well, this past week, as I'm reading through chapter 11, I was left staring at this text. The unique thing is, is that the book of Acts is just an account of the early church. So Unlike some of the letters that are written to the, the different churches that have big ideas and themes that the author is trying to get across, not so much in the book of Acts because it's a historical account. So I'm left there staring. And so guess what I came up with for the big idea of this section of Scripture? Nothing. Zero zip zilch. Zero. So this is going to be a very unique uh, sermon because here's the thing. But when I'm reading it, it wasn't short on great content and takeaway lessons. So this is going to be a little flip on the way things work. This is going to take your participation, though. I'm going to go through six different potential big ideas, and you have to determine what was the big idea God had for you this morning. It's like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books, right? And so you're going to identify what was the specific thing. I titled it Lessons Along the Way. I know that's lame, but you get the idea because sometimes I've noticed I'll have a big idea, and then I talk to one of you after the service, and you're like, I was really blessed by this part, and it had nothing to do with my big idea. So I figure it's a free-for-all anyway. So the Holy Spirit, when he's working here, I believe he can speak to us. I believe when we dive into his word, he has a message for each of us if we choose to engage this morning. Anybody else believe that? Let me pray towards that end. God, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would work behind the scenes just in our hearts. God, that you would meet us exactly where we're at. Some of us need this morning some encouragement. Pray that they'd walk away with that encouragement this morning. Some of us need a bit of a nudge God, I pray that you do that nudging like only you can do. Some of us need a, even a, a rebuke this morning. We ask that you do that as well as your spirit pierces to the morrow of who we are or the core of who we are. We invite you to move and work in this service and we'll give you all the glory and praise for it in advance. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So, this adventure we're starting. First one, and here's the good news, is once you've heard your big idea, you're free to leave for the morning. 
No, I'm just kidding. That's not how it works. But here, the very first one is this. Stick to truth and don't get sucked into drama. That's the first big idea. It says this in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Stop there just for a second. What's happening here? If you remember from last week, Peter's just getting back from Caesarea where he had introduced Cornelius and all of his friends and family members to the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And there was a little mini revival that happened there and Cornelius' home, a pretty powerful thing. But it was about 70 miles away from Jerusalem and it says that he only stayed there a couple days but the news already made it back to Jerusalem. One thing the church has always been good at is relaying controversy, I would suggest. So they got controversy all the way back. So he shows up back to the church in Jerusalem, and it says that they criticized him for some things. Now, first off, who's doing the, the criticizing based on the text here? Who's doing it? The circumcised party. Doesn't sound like much of a party to me, but this, this group of people had two basic complaints. They had two basic complaints that they've won, that you've went to be with the uncircumcised, and that you've eaten with them. So two things. One, they weren't allowed to interact with somebody that was considered unclean if they weren't Jewish. Second is that they literally ate with them, and they had very strict dietary requirements. You remember this. And so this was the two complaints that they had against, the, against Peter, and so he had some explaining to do. He had some major ex explaining to do because he's dealing with a group of people that were still hanging to human merit plus Jesus equals salvation. For those of us that are here today, that's an important thing to recognize. Anything, any kind or form of the gospel that's Jesus plus anything equals salvation, that's a problem. Here, the big idea he's bringing them back to is it was God's grace alone that saved him. But what I want to point out here, and the kind of the big idea that I grabbed in this section, is how Peter responded to opposition. All of us in our life are going to have different people come during seasons where they oppose us. And the question is, do we get sucked into the drama or do we just stick with presenting the truth and letting the chips fall where they're going to fall. I love that Peter chooses to go that route. In fact, he just walks through a truth that he knew. He goes to pointing to that, hey, in verses 5 through 16, we're not going to read all of those, but he goes through just a recap of the events. Hey, God sent me this vision. God commanded me to eat. God corrected my thinking. God reinforced the message by sending it three different times because I'm a bit of a slow learner. So here's the, the idea that Peter goes back to. He's, he's making sure that they understand instead of him powering up. Now, if you're the, the Peter the Rock, the head of the, the church in Jerusalem, would have been the natural kind of response. You could have been like, who are you to question me, right? He could have played that trump card. But instead, he patiently responds, just presenting truth. Oh, that we could learn from that today. Oh, that we could learn from that. That we would be able 
to resist the appeals for drama that we're surrounded by. Drama within family, drama within marriages, drama in the workplace, all the things that want to entice you to get fired up and to lose your cool. What if we just stuck with truth? presented truth and let the chips wouldn't that be awesome to be able to put your head on the pillow at the end of the day and be like you know what i just let god be my defender and stuck with the truth i didn't get pulled into the drama maybe that's the first lesson some of you are free to leave this morning continue in verse 17 second big idea uh, I didn't really mean that. Don't leave. Uh, verse 17. If then God, I'm, I'm jumping. Okay, the reason I'm jumping is because that was an overview. He kind of concludes it in verse 17, his big idea. He says, if then God gave the same spirit to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, was I, who is I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Titled this section, Trust God to Change Hearts, basically what Peter is doing here is he's pulling out the ultimate trump card for a Christian. God made me do it. God made me do it. Do you see it there in the text? He says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? If, he, if he's doing this, why would I try to oppose it? That's the, the ultimate trump card. Anybody remember that maybe dated in Christian circles growing up when a, that was a, a very popular excuse for a breakup? Well, I talked to God and, and he told me that we shouldn't be together. What, what were you to say to that? You're kind of like, well, I, don't, I obviously wasn't burned by that or anything, but, uh, <laughs> but I've heard of people. I have a friend who was. And, uh, but, but, but seriously, like what, that's like the ultimate Trump. We, we're talking about that in the office this week. And from that, can we take a brief, brief commercial break? From that, uh, Stephanie said, oh, she passed on top 10 Christian breakup lines. Do you guys, are you guys okay with a pause for a second to hear these? So top 10. Um, I see you, number one, I see you as more of a prayer partner than a date partner. Lame. I've decided what I'm giving up for Lent you. <laughs> I've been feeling God's call to stop answering yours. <laughs> Let's be like the Red Sea and part. <laughs> if you were the sheep that wandered off, I wouldn't leave the other 99. <laughs> That's cold. <laughs> I've met a girl who has a better testimony. There you go. Or how, how about this one? We need to leave space for Jesus. We need to leave space for Jesus. Some of you actually use that. Shame on you. I think that we should be as far as the east is from the west. In the church potluck of my heart, you're the veggie tray. That's true. I don't know. Uh, girl, our relationship is like the church collection plate. I'm passing it. Okay, this idea. So, so there's the commercial break there. Don't ever use any of those if you're still in your dating days. But here's the idea. The reason I point to those is because Peter clung to what he actually knew. He went with, hey, God had me do it. Who am I to question what God was at work doing in these people's lives? If he wanted to include the Gentiles, who was I to stand up to that? And notice their response. What does it say that they did in response to that? They fell silent. There's nothing you can say to that. 
There's nothing you can say when you're saying, hey, God, God was doing this. God was the one, the, the inventor of it, the designer of it, the, the one that instituted it. Who am I to stand against them? They fell in silence. And that's what happens when we entrust God to do the changing in somebody's heart rather than us trying to do it ourselves. Isn't that good news? You don't have to change people. Some of you, that's all you needed to hear this morning. You can go. You, 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 did it. you don't have to change somebody. God's the only person that can literally shift a heart from one kind of a place to another kind of a place. Look at what it says that happened in these religious zealots' hearts. It says that after they were silent, which was a miracle in and of itself, it says, and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Basically, they publicly acknowledge that grace was for everyone. Jews, Gentiles. God took the most strict and stringent of that day and redirected their hearts. Who in your life have you wasted way too much emotional energy trying to change that you can't change? What if you just said, all right, God, I'm just going to allow God to do the changing. Wouldn't that be amazing? I was talking to a guy this week that was uh, last week. He was telling me about just the miserable boss that he had and just miserable work environment and just really uh, hard. And, and, uh, and, and I challenged him. I said, hey, what if this next week you set a reminder in your phone? All of us do that, right? Set a reminder in your phone and you started praying for your boss every single day that God would change his heart and would do a, do, a, do a transformation. What do you think God could do in that? So I think John Irwin did that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but, sorry. Uh, but but, but here, here's, the, uh, here's the, the thing. I haven't heard the story of that, but what if we entrust God to do the changing and we got more serious about the pleading for him to do the changing? Going before God, asking him to make that move Maybe that's the message you came to hear this morning. Verse 19, the story kind of jumps here. We're going to see that this is part of why I couldn't find a theme. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to, to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. little backdrop there to make sure you understand what's happening. This is basically a continuation all the way back from chapter 8 after Stephen had been persecuted. What happens to the church? Anybody remember? Start scattering. They start going all over the place. So we had zoomed in and, and looked at some specific stories. Now the, the camera, if you will, is zooming out and looking at what's happening big church-wise, big picture-wise. So the church in Jerusalem is taking the gospel message and because of persecution is heading up the Mediterranean coast. Here's a picture of what's happening. So down in the bottom, you see the city of Jerusalem. There is the Mediterranean Sea on the left-hand side. They start taking the gospel message specifically up the coast as they start. Does that make sense? They're heading up the coast. Some, I can appreciate this group. 
Some went out to Cyprus, which Cyprus is like basically paradise. Here's a, here's a picture from Cyprus. This is like, and so if you're that missionary, I fully support that. You know what I mean? Like people needed Jesus in Cyprus. They're heading there. But the others, back to the map, back to the map, other than that, they kept going into this whole region of Syria uh, to Phoenicia, kind of a region there. And then all the way up, this is about 300 miles up to Antioch. Antioch was a major Roman city of that time. In fact, the third largest out of, out of any city in uh, Rome at that time. So you had Rome itself, which is the, uh, the biggest. The second was Alexandria, and Antioch was the third largest city, about 500,000 in population. So they're showing up where the gospel is now moving its way up, but at first, you see they're, they're just starting to, to talk to people. Now it's made it 300 miles to this major city, and this city was an epicenter for tons of craziness. This city was kind of a, a known for a lot. They were known for their wealth. They were known for their sophistication, scientific achievements. They had theaters. They had palaces. They even had their own Olympic Games, which is kind of cool. Uh, and, and, and so in that area, they've made it, they've arrived, and up until this point, who have they been sharing the gospel with? What does it say? Jews only. Jews only. But things are about to take a change for the better. Good news for those of us that aren't Jewish. They started sharing. Some of these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene started taking a, a risk and sharing with Hellenists. Hellenist is a, is a title of someone that's Greek-speaking. You can have a Greek-speaking Hellenist Jew, or you can have a Hellenist Gentile. In this context, because it's in Antioch, he's talking about Gentiles up there. They started sharing the gospel message with them, and that was a really big deal. And God confirmed it, and it says, "...and the hand of the Lord was with them." Great numbers who believed and turned to the Lord. So as they're going out, these men took some major spiritual risks. They took some major spiritual risks. They said, we're not going to limit this gospel thing to just our own people. We're going to expand it to everyone. That's how amazing the grace of God is. You think about that as we try to apply that today. What spiritual risks is God calling you to? I had breakfast this past week with a guy named Anthony Barton, used to attend our church here and was a, a missionary that he was actually hosting. The, the lady that he was uh, with was getting a chance to share her story. She's in Sierra Leone, Africa, ministering. It's fun hearing her story. She was telling me about arriving there as a kind of on a uh, they have these, these different medical boats that will do different excursions and stop in for a couple weeks and do some ministry, whether it's teaching English or medical supply stuff. Or, but she said, you know, I was there, and I was just there, supposed to be there for a, a couple weeks. And I was going to be teaching English and using that as a platform to share Jesus Christ with people. She goes, but at the end of my two weeks that I was there, She's like, man, I, I just kept seeing such a, such a receptivity and a, a hunger for Jesus. She goes, when the two weeks was, was, was done with, she's like, I just stayed. I just stayed. She's like, she's like it, it's, it's now been, I think it was 2008 that she did that. She's like, yeah, it's been like eight years now. She didn't have a financial plan. She didn't have anything in place. God has used her in tremendous ways because why? Because she took a risk. She said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to settle for just kind of comfortable Christianity. I'm going to step out and see what God 
will do. Some of us maybe need that nudge this morning. You've played it safe for too long, and God's called you to something greater. Maybe that's interacting with people at the workplace. Maybe it is going on the missions field. Maybe it's just sharing Christ with a family member you've been too scared to for so long. I don't know what that risk is, but I love that God meets us in that, and here he shows what the reward can look like. Whether it's closeness with God, I like that, in the hand of the Lord was with them. That means that they sensed his presence all over the place. And then great numbers of people were saved. Either way, the reward is a beautiful thing. This was a major deal in the, the church when you're looking big picture-wise. Now this was the movement of the central kind of outreach hub being Jerusalem to now being Antioch. All three of Paul's journeys or his missionary journeys were launched out of Antioch. God used this risk to literally continue to build his church and literally our grandparents, parents, 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 parents were influenced because of this risk that these people took. Maybe that's your message that you needed to hear this morning. Fourth one, verse 22, as the story progresses, it says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Remember, they're really good at getting messages back to people. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So once again, this message gets back to Jerusalem. You understand what's happening here? The report gets back to Jerusalem that, whoa, this wasn't a one-off event. It's not like just this, this uh, Cornelius getting saved. Now God's reaching all the way up to Antioch, 300 miles away, and this is a big deal. It's bigger than you ever thought. So what do they do? How does the church respond? They're fresh off of the Cornelius experience so they're, 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 and Peter experience, so they don't get angry about it. They send Barnabas up to check to see what's happening with, with this new church or this new movement. The neat thing that we know about Barnabas, what did we learn about him about uh, two or three weeks ago? He was known as the encourager. He was the one that was the defender of, of Saul when he was first coming back to the church. And so they're sending an encourager to see what's happening, which is obviously movement on their, on their end. We learn a little bit more about uh, Barnabas there. It says that he was somebody that was a, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Oh, to have that said of us. When he gets there, he says that the, that the grace of God, he says he saw the, the grace of God, he was glad. He was celebrating with them. Then he exhorts them to something. I found this interesting, and this is the big idea that I wanted to point to, towards. He exhorts them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Why do you think that is? He's got one shot to talk to these new believers. He's got one message to get across to them. What does he tell them to do? He tells them to remain faithful. Why do you think that is? Because I think Barnabas has learned a little something about new believers in his day, that there's a strong tug to quit. Anybody else notice that? Anybody that's following Jesus, there's this strong, there's lots of very specific reasons that come up in our mind as why we should just call it quits. 
This, this whole Christianity thing. Well, why, 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 should I, why shouldn't I just walk away? Look at, look at all these hypocrites, people that say one thing and do something completely different. I'm going to quit. Maybe that's, that, that's your, your tug towards quitting. Well, what about unforgiveness? Man, I just can't get past what so-and-so did in the church, and they, they said that, and I, I'm, I'm just quitting. I'm, I'm out of here. They're, they're, the, the list of potential quits, I think probably the most common reason for quitting the faith is this. It's too hard. It's a lot, it's a lot easier to just go back to what everybody else is doing. It's kind of getting in the rat race with everybody else, blending in with our environment, camouflaging. The, you see, the appeal to quit is strong. So, so that's why Barnabas said, man, you got to take that off the option list. When Adrian and I first got married, we did a little bit of premarital counseling with a, a couple. One of the things that stuck in my mind of what they said is they, they told us, they said, you know what, if you want your marriage to succeed, Everybody's ears perking up right now. If you want your marriage to succeed, they said you have to take divorce off the option list. Isn't that good advice? They said because if it's not an option in your marriage, then you'll be forced to work through junk. You'll be pushed to try to solve things and, 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 and work through things and, and solve kind of what the, those dynamics look like. And that was wonderful advice because otherwise, if it is on the option list, you're going to take it. And here, the same thing is true with this group of new believers. You can't quit. It's not an option. Some of you, that's what you needed to hear just this morning. You can't quit. You got to keep chasing after. It's a lifelong thing, a marathon, not a sprint. Maybe some of us get to leave after hearing that here this morning. Last couple, just as we continue, I was thinking about just one other thing I jotted down with that. I was talking to a guy this this past week, and uh, he was saying, he was lamenting, I jotted it down. He says, I'm not sure why I've gotten out of the habit of church and being in the Word when it's a time that I need him the most. Interesting. Well, I'm not sure why. And I'm like, I, I am sure why. Because there's a strong tug to quit. It can't be an option. So, verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. thought this was interesting. So think about what's happened here. So he shows up, he sees all these new believers, pretty cool, he's celebrating with them. And what does he conclude that needs to happen next? These people need discipleship. These people need to have someone investing into them or they will quit, or they will quit. Unless there's going to be something happening for the teaching and reinforcing. That city of Anak was known for idol worship and all kinds of darkness. So there's going to be a reprogramming that needed to happen. So what does he do? He's like, I need to get some help in this. He starts looking. He's like, who do I know in this area? Tarsus is just a, a city just a little farther up north around the curve there in the Mediterranean. So he heads up there, finds Saul, and brings him back. He's like, I know somebody that will be a nice person to tag team with. I'm going to bring Saul. That's not a bad pick if you're going to pick somebody to help you out in a Bible study. And, uh, and so he picks Saul, and they come back. And what does it tell us that they did for the next year? For the next year, the two of them spent time teaching this group of new believers. 
investing in them. Can you imagine being in that Bible study like Barnabas and Saul? That's not a bad uh, uh, new life group. And so, and so, uh, so this idea, they're, they're there and they're investing, they're pouring into them because they understood something, that unless you have intentional discipleship in your life, you will remain an infant in your faith. Unless you have intentionality and growth, guess what's going to happen? It's not like you're going to show up in one day and be like, whoa, I can't believe how spiritual I am now. Man, my relationship with God, God is fantastic. Like, it, it doesn't work like that. It works with intentionality. Getting and investing in your spiritual state is the only thing that's going to move you forward and progress you along the way. And some of us, you need to be more on the receiving end in that discipleship. Some of us need to be more on the receiving end. But then some of us, further along in their faith, need to be more on the giving end of discipleship. You get to a place in your walk with the Lord where you're like, man, I've taken a lot in. Now, one of the things that I think grows you the most is pouring into other people, the accountability that that creates. For me, even thinking in my own life, I'm like, man, if I didn't have sermons where that pushed me to be in the Word every week, that'd be, that'd be hard. But God uses that discipleship to literally move you forward. And for us, maybe that's the challenge this morning that you needed to hear is that you can't quit it's something that you have to intentionally pursue discipleship. Every single one of us. There's nobody that gets to sneak by and just coast through. I love this. My sister pointed to uh, Ruth Graham uh, on her, her tombstone. I, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but this is what she wrote. She said, end of construction, thank you for your patience. End of construction, thank you for your patience. She understood that her whole life was going to be a construction period. Thank you for your patience. So similarly, I say that to you, church. <laughs> uh, thank you for your patience. You see, the, the idea is, is for each one of us to keep on pursuing discipleship and figuring out how that happens. I love that I can walk around this church any given day, and I can see, like, oh, look, there's this group meeting. Oh, there's the, the, the young adults are meeting. The Awana kids are meeting. Oh, there's another women's Bible study. Like, the, the women's Bible studies are like the goonies. Like, they just keep spreading. Like, they, they just keep taking off. Is that the right thing? Was that the little ant? ant? Gremlins, gremlins, thanks. But uh, you, you, get the, you get the idea here. Men, discipleship, men's, we have these wonderful e-groups, all kinds of options. If you just lean into them, we want to be a support with that. Encounter, equip, extend, the equip piece we take really seriously here as a church. Very last one, we're going to end with this. Verse 27, one last potential big idea for you. It says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit, and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it, sending it to the elders by the hand of of Barnabas and Saul. So what's happening here? We're introduced to a, a new character, Agabus. That sounds like something you'd say when you hit your thumb 
uh, with a hammer, but you get the idea. Agabus is there, a, a prophet, and he's coming with, with a word for them. You see, prophecy was an important part of the early church until the canon came to completion, and prophecy was literally, in this instance, saving the church. He's saying God was using a prophet to say, listen, there's a famine on the horizon, and it's going to take a united effort if you're going to make it through this. I think it's kind of a cool picture of God's provision for his early church. I love how uh, Roman history and other history points to this famine that was a major one, all the way from 41 to 54 AD. But literally, they used that as a catalyst to take people that had much, it says those who were able to, took resources and redirected them to the city that needed it the, the most. And so here's the, the, the neat thing as a reminder for us to, to do to, still today is we're still called to that. Those who have, share with those who are struggling. I love we have this uh, thing called a deacon's fund that you guys have the opportunity to give to once a month. And uh, you don't necessarily see all the kind of behind-the-scenes things that happen with that, but those of us on staff do. There's a lot of different needs and appeals that we have that come to the church for specific help. And it's such a blessing to be able to meet people's tangible needs with resources that you all direct. We have this one fund that it's always there. And I joke with John because I'm like, it doesn't matter how much we give away from this thing. It always seems to get back to the exact same amount. I don't get it. Uh, but that doesn't mean you stop giving to it. But here's the, 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 the idea is this, is some of us are in a season where God's blessed us. He's poured out a lot of resources on you. He's really given you favor. That would be the time in your life to say, huh, maybe I could take some of those resources and maybe redirect those to somebody that's struggling within the body of Christ. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? I, I love this last year that we, uh, as a church, we built this, uh, or actually it's in process of being built, this church in Ecuador. We're picking the most poor area in Ecuador possible, building a church there, and ministering to the needs of families and kids in that community through Compassion International. I love that. That's the idea that God put in place, and maybe that's one final nudge that he might be giving to you this morning. The nice thing is, is I didn't have to have the weight of what the big idea is, but the tough thing for you is, you need to figure it out. Look at, again, the, the recap of the, the, the different things we've covered. You tell me what the big idea is. Stick to truth and don't get sucked into drama. I'm not going to make anybody raise any hands, but maybe that's what God wanted to teach you this morning. Trust God to change hearts. Maybe somebody you need to just release and turn over to him and say, all right, God, I'm, 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 I'm going to stop trying to change them and let God do it. Spiritual risk often being rewarded. Maybe some of us need a little nudge towards being a little bit more risky in our walk with the Lord. Your faithfulness will be opposed. For that, maybe the person needs to be stop being shocked when there's every single obstacle that comes to their faith and be like, oh, Scott said that it happens. This idea of discipleship is essential for all of us. Some of us have kind of gotten on coast mode for too long, investing nothing in our walk. Maybe that's the nudge you need, or believers are in this together, the idea of sharing resources. All of these are an opportunity for God to speak, nudging us, moving us. That's my prayer that he's been doing that even uh, this morning. If you can't think of something that God is nudging you on, I'm sure if you're married, your spouse can tell you which one you needed to hear. Let me pray for us as we leave. 
God, thank you so much for your word and the way it is alive and active. And even as I'm working through this, there's nudges left and right. Maybe it's not one for somebody. Maybe it's three or four for somebody this morning. I ask that you'd use this, that it may, may even carry into more of just more than just a, another message on the mile-high pile of messages that somebody's heard. And maybe more specifically, it might trickle into a conversation at lunch today. It might invade into someone's week this week, God. We ask that you'd use your word to do what only it can do. We thank you so much, even for your patience with us while we're under construction. We praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Just uh, two quick reminders as you're heading out. It's kind of fun that it landed on a Sunday that we do our uh, Deacon's Fund offering. So if you want to give towards that, feel free, no pressure. Second thing is feel free on your way out to enjoy a Krispy Kreme donut. About a month ago, John Irwin said, if you all filled out your care journal that week, that he was going to treat for Krispy Kreme donuts. So I'm excited to hand that receipt to him this week. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.